the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bowls of Divine Wrath. That is the focus this week on Abounding Grace as Pastor Gary Wagner continues his journey through Revelation, chapters 15 and 16, coming up next. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, we invite you to join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. It is our continuing journey through Revelation, and today we are again in chapters 15 and 16, looking at the bowls of divine wrath. How serious does God really take sin? What is God's view of it? We see the culmination of all of his thoughts and passions here in Revelation as he mets out the judgment that has been so long in coming. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner, today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Bowls of Divine Wrath, this week, part two. If you remember the last time we were together, we looked at the 15th chapter of Revelation, and chapter 15 and 16 go hand in hand. So I'm going to read chapter 16, Then I'm going to give a review of chapter 15 and move right into an explanation of chapter 16. But before I do, let me remind you what the background of these chapters is. The background of these chapters is the Egyptian plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the destruction of Egypt under Moses' leadership, all of which symbolize and foreshadow the victory of Christ's redeemed people over all of their enemies. So let me remind you now about the plagues because we're going to see them return various, in various forms here. And all of these can be found in Exodus chapters 7 through 11. The first plague was all the bodies of water turned into blood. The second plague was frogs. The third plague was swarms of flies, or as some say, gnats, and others say, lice. The fourth plague was pestilence on the livestock. The fifth plague was boils. The sixth plague was huge hail. The seventh plague was locusts. The eighth plague was darkness over all the earth. And the ninth plague was the death of the firstborn in every family that didn't have blood smeared upon the doorpost. Now, with that in mind, I want to read to you now chapter 16 of Revelation. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went out and poured out the bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. 
The second angel poured out of his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and everything living, every, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who, was, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up. So the only, so the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sound and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, because its plague was extremely severe. May God bless the reading of his word to your hearts and to your minds. Now we have these seven bowls of wrath. We have had seven trumpets, and now we have these seven bowls. And remember, there is a finality about these bowls. Look at the first verse of chapter 15 again. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. The other judgments were preliminary. The other judgments, like the blasting of the seven trumpets, had as their purpose to warn nations and to give them the opportunity to repent. But there is no warning 
any longer. So these seven bowls of wrath represent final judgments upon cultures that refuse to repent. So whoever refuses to be warned by the trumpets of judgment will be destroyed by the bowls of wrath. Apparently, in God's providential dealings with wicked nations, he gives them time to repent. He gives them preliminary judgments like COVID-19 or 9-11s or tornadoes and hurricanes and things such as that. Oh, they are severe, but they're not totally destructive. But when a nation persists in its impertinency and rebellion against God, and it pays no heed to these preliminary judgments, then God may very well bring final judgments in the lives of those cultures that brings them to an end in history. That is what he did to the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 B.C. with the Assyrians. That is what he did with the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 B.C. by using the Babylonians. And there are various other instances throughout history. That is what these bowls of wrath symbolize. There is a finality of judgment. And of course, as we have seen, they are aimed predominantly at the Roman Empire in our text. Now also in this first part, you see the triumphant saints. They're standing on the sea of glass. And remember what the sea is in the book of Revelation? It represents the source of the beast, unregenerate mankind in its rebellion against God. And here the saints are standing on this sea of glass, singing a song of victory. So right from the very beginning, you see that the purpose of these bowls is to assure the victory of the church over all of her enemies. So they sing God's praises, not because they are bloodthirsty, they want to see people suffer, but they love to see God vindicated, and they want to see God destroy his enemies for the protection of his church. So you have this great hymn in verse 3, the song of Moses and the song of Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So here is a great, positive, glorious orientation of these saints toward the future. Because God sits on his throne and sits in final judgment on his enemies, the righteous acts of God, which are his display of judgment as well as his display of grace, will lead to the conversion of the nations. So right as these bowls are poured out, rather than seeing them as something desperate and pessimistic in the destruction of Rome, the children of God see it as something very optimistic something very reassuring to know that the destruction of apostate Judaism and the destruction of anti-Christian Rome will clear the way for the conversion of the nations of the world. 
Now in verses 5 through 8, we see a picture of heaven. We saw in Hebrews 8, the temple or tabernacle in heaven last time is a symbolic of the presence and the home of the transcendent God. And it is from God's home in heaven, his throne room, that these plagues are hurled at the earth. So they are not natural phenomenon, beloved. They are not accidents. They are not things that man causes. All of these plagues that led to the destruction of Rome and any other tyrannical government that abuses the church as Rome did come directly from the throne room of God himself. And now we come to the seventh bowl, seven bowls in chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And the first bowl was reminiscent of the sixth Egyptian plague, spiritual, mental, physical sores that destroyed the peace of the self-complacency of the wicked. Verse 3. The second bowl is reminiscent of the first Egyptian plague and reminiscent of the second trumpet in Revelation 8. And in Revelation 8, the judgment was partial. But here it is total. The Nile River was the natural advantage and strength of Egypt. And God's judgment on it was a death stroke on that nation. So we see from this that God uses the very advantages and strengths of a nation to destroy them in their rebellion against him. Verses 4 through 7, the third bowl is reminiscent of the third Egyptian plague. This points to a drying up of common grace, a withholding of temporal blessings, and a withholding of the restraints on a nation's sin. So let's stop for just a minute. The drying up of common grace. What is common grace? Now, keep in mind, these are God's judgments on Rome and upon any culture in their finality that persists in their rebellion. There is a special grace and there is common grace in the Bible. Special grace is saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a sovereign grace. It is amazing grace. It actually accomplishes the salvation of all of those upon whom it is bestowed. But God is also gracious to people who are unregenerate, people who are not elect. God is still good to them and kind to them. God causes, says Jesus, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. But the kindness of God upon even unjust, unregenerate, unbelieving rebels is not saving. When God causes the rain to fall upon wicked people, and He's good to them and generous to them, it doesn't save them. And it has no sanctifying effect upon them. It has no special grace. But it is common. 
It is a common kindness that God bestows upon all human beings in the world for the sake of the church. Now, what does the New Testament teach that common grace accomplishes? Common grace and God's kindness in the life of unbelievers does a couple of things. First of all, it restrains evil in unregenerate people. The reason unregenerate, unbelieving, wicked people are not all as wicked as they could possibly be is not because there is some spark of goodness that's left in them. It is because of the restraint of God's hand. God is kind to the church by putting a restraint upon evil and the evil people to keep them from being as evil as they could be. Can you imagine? In this culture, where the predominant percentage of people unbelievers, the hell it would be for the church, if every unbeliever in America was absolutely as sinful and as wicked as he or she could possibly be, you can see from the recent riots and looting how animalistic the unbeliever can be. Can you imagine without God's restraint, it would be a literal hell on earth. But the reason God keeps it from being a hell on earth is for the sake of the church, as there will always be some safety for the church in this world. Now, there's a second thing God's common grace does. Not only does it withhold and restrain evil in the reprobate, keeping them from being as evil as they can be, but God's common goodness and kindness to unregenerate people enables them to do relatively good and beautiful and right things that if left to themselves, they could not do. That is, if people are totally depraved, if there is none that doeth good, no, not one, how in the world can an unbeliever paint a beautiful painting? How can an unbeliever create beautiful music? How can a believer write great poetry? How can an unbeliever say anything that is true, produce anything beautiful if left in his own depravity? My friends, he could not. If God did not, in his kindness, allow unbelievers to produce on occasion relatively good and true and beautiful things, everyone would paint like a two-year-old child. So the point is, when God goes to judge a culture, and this is frightening unless you understand that God has a purpose in all of this, and that is to protect the church. But he removes his common grace from a culture. It makes the music harsh and ugly. It makes the art abstract and ugly. It makes books and movies classless and ugly. And there is less and less truth. There is less and less beauty. The restraints become less and less on the evil of culture. And I think that is the significance of this third bowl. Then the fourth bowl in verses 8 and 9 is reminiscent of the fourth trumpet. And it speaks of the shriveling up of culture and order in a society. The source of light and health becomes destructive and cursed. 
and all of creation is against the rebels. This section describes the response of the wicked to the righteous judgments of God, which is further vindication of God's severe punishments. So when God goes to judge a culture, finally, that culture dries up and it just blows away. Let me show you a couple of verses here that show you one of the reasons that hell is eternal. Verse 9. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Verse 11. And they blasphemed the God from heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. In other words, the more God judged Rome, the less they were broken by the judgment, and the more they would grit their teeth in anger and hatred toward the living God. And beloved, that is why the way it is in hell every second for everyone who is there. When God sends someone to hell out of justice because that person is an unbeliever and deserves to be punished for his sins, as soon as he begins to be punished in hell, he blasphemes God for punishing him. And that adds to his sin. Therefore, God punishes the one in hell more for hating him for his punishing of him. So what does the unbeliever do next? He hates God for punishing him more. And that's further sin. So God punishes him more. And that is the way hell is, my friends. The more God punishes people in hell, the more they hate him. And the more the punishment is poured out throughout eternity. Then we come to the fifth bowl in verses 10 and 11. And it is reminiscent of the Egyptian plague in Exodus 10, 21. The city of Rome itself will fall just as the city of Jerusalem fell in Revelation 11. The center of Babylon's power, Rome, is attacked. And the citizens are struck with mental and emotional stress. Now I'm going to take the time to describe the actual historical condition of Rome once these bowls of wrath started to be poured out. And the culture started to dry up, and people started, started turning against one another, hating one another, and how life became dark and violent. Now, there's going to be a few names in here that I may not uh, um, say correctly, but please excuse me for that. <clears throat> it is likely, said one author, that this judgment actually corresponds to wars, Revolutions, riots, and worldwide convulsions that reached the Roman Empire after Nero committed suicide in June 68 AD. F.W. Farrar writes in connection of the horrors inflicted upon Rome and Romans in the civil wars by provincial governors already symbolizes the horns of the wild beasts and here characterized as kings yet kingdomless. Such were Galba, Otha, Vitalius, Vespasian, Mucianos, who deliberately planned to starve the whole Roman populace. And in the fierce struggle of the Vitalians against Sabinius and Domitian and the massacre which followed, 
there occurred the event which sounded so loudly in the ears of every Roman, the burning to the ground of the temple of the Jupiter Capitolinus on December 19th, A.D. 69. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. 